Welcome to Peace's Gabfest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meeks. And today we are analyzing the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 3, The Burrow. This is about 9 minutes to 14 minutes and 8 seconds of the film. Before we start our discussion, we wanted to give a little spoiler warning because we u- will be using our vast knowledge of the wizarding world to compare the page to the screen, and that means we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So, you've been warned, Dickle Firsties. Before we start, here's a message from the Daily Prophet. No one wants to wait hours for a potion to brew. Ditch the cauldron and order a BlendJet 2 portable blender today. Sure to get you invited to Slughorn's parties, the BlendJet 2 makes blending so easy and convenient. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up your potions even while riding a broomstick. It's small enough to fit in your cloak, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like frozen fruit and lacewing flies with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning potion without waking up the whole common room. Lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. That, that's a muggle contraption. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. I really want to get the black one and add the Hufflepuff logo. Yes. Yeah, and I want a blue one so that it'll match, well, Ravenclaw, but also my kitchen counters. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, super important. It's got to yeah. match the ke- kitchen counters. It's nice and convenient if that can happen. Black goes with anything, so I think I'm good. Yeah, it's true. Well, what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and two free day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Welcome back. So, this is a fun chapter, and we start out with the Weasley boys breaking Harry out of the Dursleys. (laughs) I mean, that's where we left off, and the last one was just, he's just literally facing Harry and saying, hey, how are you doing, Harry? And Harry's, like, trying to figure out what's going on. Can't, like, I think he's just waking up, so he's, like, got that sleepy feeling, like, where you kind of haven't processed everything right away. And you can't really tell if you're, like, seeing... Like, what you're seeing is actually real if you're just, like, making it up or still kind of, like, in a dream of sorts or, like, that, well, just, like, that trance-type feeling. I don't know if any of you know what that feels like, but happens to me all the time. And so I'm just, like, 
I feel you, Harry. I feel you. But he obviously he gets really excited uh, to see his friends once he kind of realizes that it's them. But is also baffled by the fact that it's a flying car, which I don't think even for Harry was something that he would have considered uh, from the wizarding world, which is a very interesting introduction to have magic and muggle artifacts combine. Yeah, I mean, I I really I like this um this adaptation overall. Um, I I have my uh, my peeves with it, but uh, just you know, overall, I like the um, I like the feel of it um that they portrayed in the movie. Uh, speaking of peeves about this chapter, one thing in particular that I was really upset about them cutting from the film is Fred and George and using their quote muggle tricks to get uh, Harry's stuff out of the, the locked closet or whatever um, lock they picked there. Yes, I agree. Um, So I'd like to see that in the show just a little bit more um, of, of this interaction of them packing up Harry's stuff. Yeah. I I do agree. So even though I like the the overall feeling of the adaptation, I think it was good. And I think if you're watching a film, like the film is fine. But um, yeah, there's a lot of details like that that are the the world building details, but also that that blend of the wizarding world and the Muggle world um, that we miss out on because they don't, you know, they don't add in all the details into the film adaptation. Another thing I'm kind of <laughs> Again, bummed about them cutting. And we've talked about this a lot um, with Harry's sass. Because once they've broken him out and they're leaving and the Dursleys have woken up and panicked that Harry is escaping. As they're leaving in the flying car, Harry's like, see you next summer. And there's just that humor and personality that is lacking of Harry in the films. Yes, I do agree with that. Well, I think I was comparing them uh, today because I read I read them today. I read both chapters today. That's how time constrained I was this week. But so it's like all like kind of really fresh in my brain. And I've just been recently like comparing it to what the film did. And for what the film did, I feel like it did a really good job in creating like that sense of urgency of like Harry just needs to get out of here. I think that that was really cool in the sense that, you know, that Mr. Mr. Dursley was going to hear this car break the bars off the window and he's going to react that fast and you have to get Harry into the car and his stuff. And it's like creating this sense of urgency and it fit within the medium really well, which is why I kind of enjoyed that part. But as I was reading the book, I really did enjoy the fact that we see, uh, we see Harry, uh, you know, get to get to be excited about going back into the wizarding world. And we see Ron, um, saying like telling being his friend his best friend and being like hey we're gonna get you out of here and this is what's gonna happen and we get to see more of fred and george and like yeah that personality is that personality part of it is great and i really would like to see all that including the muggle 
lock picking and stuff that Fred and George get to use. Like I, I would like to see that in the TV show, but I think that the film did a really good job in creating a sense of urgency that the Dursleys were trying to keep him from going back to that world and doing it well within the time frame of, of a movie that it makes it enjoyable to watch. And so I think when you compare the two, yeah, it's a little disappointing we didn't get to have an extended part of that, but I think the move what the movie did what created a a an easily manageable thing that created the same type of excitement just in a different way through different means. So would I want to see that again in the TV show? No. Uh because I fully expect uh, the TV show to handle the scene differently, and I'm excited to see what they do differently. But do I completely hate the movie because they did it differently and cut a few things out? No, I don't think so. I think what how they did it was very well done and very believable. And and when I read it, when I read that they quietly pulled the bars off the house, and I was like, Vernon Dursley didn't hear that, like. <laughs> He's still sleeping through that. Like that, that was a little bit unbelievable to me in, in comparison to what the film did. And so I think I applaud the film for that basically more than anything. Yeah, I agree. The sense of urgency really that hit home for me. Cause as I was watching it after reading it, I noticed that it was uh, the film really um, kind of hit that home, that feeling of like kind of the panicky and like I wrote down, it escalated so fast in the film and I don't, I don't like that as much as how it played out in the book. Surprise, surprise. But, um, but I think for a film, for what they were trying to do, I think it, they like hit the nail on the head with what they were trying to accomplish basically. Most yeah. Definitely. And we've said it before and we'll say it again that we understand the movies can only do so much with the time that they have, but that's, why we're so excited about the show that the show has a much better time frame to include this type of stuff. And I agree. I think the film did a great job of adapting this chapter. I really don't have that many complaints. Um, when I say these are my peeves, this is just what I'm hoping to see in the show. Um, I have one peeve that we'll get to, of course, in our peeves peeve. And it's a very <laughs> minor. <laughs> can't wait it's minor <laughs> i think also it uh, this book i feel like we're saying it a lot more than the sorcerer's stone but the lack of humor and the added dramatization of everything really stood out to me well, what's interesting is I – oh, sorry. Did you have more? Go ahead. Go ahead. Nope. I feel like this film right off the bat, they uh, they were trying to bust out the comedy chops. And I think that they did a good job with the script that they have. Like the writers for the film I think did a great job of making it humorous um, all like right from the opening scene of the film. Um, and so I think that this movie already right away feels feels funnier than – the Sorcerer's Stone film, but it's like they have they have um, you know more humorous dialogue, 
However, they still keep out a lot of the dry humor, which we've already talked about, you know, less yeah. than 10 minutes into us talking about this. And I think that that is, again, flattening the characters by taking that out. Um, so it's like they did, they added in more humorous dialogue, which I think was a good idea. Um, but they also added in, as they usually do when things go onto a TV show or on film, they added in like kind of like slapstick comedy where it's like, you know, the frantic, like getting into the car scene and then Ver Vernon falling out of the window. Like, I'm sorry. Well, that's what I put as added drama, him falling out. I'm like, that's so dramatic. He does yes. not fall out of the window in yeah. the book. And that's not like he wouldn't just kind of roll out of the hedge and then everyone would be right. like, oh, man. And that's what I'm thinking. Like, what would have ha what would Harry have done if he had died right. from falling out the window? And I'm sorry, <laughs> what kind of, like, bush is that that he fell on? That he's just, like, fine. Like, it's – I'm right. sorry, but no. And out of a second-story window. Yes. And he's also not, like, a kid who can just, like, kind of bounce around a little bit easier. Like, he's older. And anyways, it's yeah. – <laughs> not, I, I don't like and I never have like I remember seeing this when I was like 10 or whenever it came out and I was just like rolling my eyes like are you joking like why do you need mm -hmm. to add that in because it was already like good and funny you didn't need to add don't need to add in all of the super dramatic stuff but that's really typical to do in films and in TV so hopefully in the TV show they don't make it as dramatic well, I I wanted to have you guys finish your thoughts first before I interjected because I, I, I like, like to be polite. <laughs> I want to hear your whole side of the story, like, you know, your whole perspective, but I have to disagree. I I think for the the time period in which it, in which they were filming and the audience that they were trying to do it for, they had to add a few things because as we're as as we're older and we we become adults and we we get to like understand a little bit more of the deeper meaning of comedy and humor and and don't need some of that slapstickiness that um, people put into cartoons or TV shows or movies to to have kids laugh at. But kids, you know, enjoy that kind of stuff. That's why Looney Tunes is like so yeah popular is because it's just pure slapstick humor yeah and it, it gained that popularity because that was that's what kids found funny at the time mm. uh and you know we're we're talking about making these movies you know right off the back of the 90s and when slapstick humor was like the biggest thing in the world still um at that time like it, it it made sense since your audience was two children and it was geared towards children to include a little bit of slapstick humor that was missing in the books um, because it's not in the books that, you know, the humor is a little bit, you know, I enjoy the humor that JK Rowling has put into it, but that's because I enjoy it from an adult perspective. Um, but if I read that as a kid, I would not have understood it. It would have gone over my head kind of scenario. And so I, I think, you know, adding a few things, you know, maybe not too much because having too much is, you know, it, it kind of loses the point of everything. But having a little bit of it here and there to kind of make the kids laugh as they're watching the show is more enjoyable to me because of the fact that I have four kids. I watched Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets just like 
two weeks ago and they sat down and watched it with me and they laughed at the slapstick humor kind of scenario they enjoyed it and i didn't think that they would enjoy it because i didn't know how much they would understand but they were reacting the entire movie to things that i was just like all right all right and most of it was the the funny stuff the stuff that they added in for the over dramatized effect and so for the purposes of what they were doing i think they hit it on the nail i think that they uh, i think they got to their audience most of them uh and i think that they did a, a really good job and now i have that memory that with my kids of them just like yelling spider spider and snake it's all oh my goodness run harry and <laughs> all this other stuff that i won't probably get to have again now because after chamber of secrets it kind of changes the the whole theme of it changes and i think you know i think i'm gonna enjoy having chamber of secrets and, and philosopher's stone be this kind of thematic towards children type thing more than the others because that's the movies that they're going to enjoy if i show my five-year-old prisoner of Azkaban, she's probably gonna have nightmares um and i I agree that the first two especially are geared towards the children and that um, the second one is a lot more humorous than the first one. But I guess what I'm not confused about because it all it makes sense. I get it. But it's like, why take out Harry's line? See you next summer and add in Vernon falling. And I, I mean, I get what you're saying that it's the slapstick humor, but Again, it just what we keep saying about the characters falling flat, you know, that's Harry's sass is so prominent in the books and not in the movies. Um, and so just to take out another one of his sassy lines to add in the silliness of Vernon falling is unfortunate. <laughs> So it'll be interesting to see how the show does it. And it'll be interesting in general to see what the overall tone of the show is. I think it's just going to come down to like who their audience is going to be. Like who are they going to choose their audience to be? New like, or old. Are they going to choose newer people and have this be more of like a younger type audience and geared more towards like a kiddish show type thing? Or are they going to gear this to the older audience and kind of throw a you know maybe a more darker more mature spin on the on the mm -hmm. world that that we that we're getting if it was me personally i would say the older generation our generation because we are a generation of nostalgia um and i think that they would use that you know capitalize on that being like marketing it towards us but not alienating the like newer audiences. Yeah, I agree. I think that they're going to they're going to be heavy on the nostalgia. Um and they'll be able to do that in a way that isn't going to alienate the the newer audiences because it's still going to be true to what was, you know, part of the the main storyline. So I think that they'll they'll probably add in a lot of like quotes or things that they know that all of us you know especially us in the millennial generation or the ones who really grew up with it and so 
Mm-hmm. They're gonna um they're gonna add in, I would imagine, lots of little things that we're gonna love and feel nostalgic about and that other audiences might not feel as um as nostalgic about, but it'll still make sense within the Harry Potter storyline is what I imagine mm-hmm. is gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just being a faithful adaptation, I think will do that for us. Being like Yeah. (laughs) It will hit the nostalgia for us because these are this is the actual story we grew up with. Because I think we can all agree that we keep saying they're two different stories at this point. Characters are completely different, etc. Um, but at the same time, if it's a faithful adaptation, you're gonna pull in a newer audience because it's such a good story. That's correct. I think I think that's like the biggest part of it is just if you're going to call it a faithful adaptation, you know, stick closer to the book. Don't take as much liberties with, you know, stepping away from a kind of scenario like the movies did and 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 kind of bring the bring the magic and drawing in that newer audience to what made it so lovable for us kind of scenario so i i totally agree in that i think their approach if they're gonna state that it's a faithful adaptation it needs to be a faithful adaptation Mm -hmm. well any other thoughts on the weasleys breaking harry out before we get to the car ride that did not make it into the film no i don't think i have anything different really before that part (laughs) i mean the car ride kind of made it into the film i did yeah i wrote down that their conversation in the car is broken out into the rest of the scene um which again we've talked about before in the last book um which is fine to make it go into the movie but i would like to see a little bit of banter with the four of them driving away in the car before, not too much, but just a little bit before they arrive at the borough. I really like this scene because, well, not the scene itself, like the book. I call the chapter a scene I, in my head. I don't know why. Um, but I really like the chapter because it's like bringing out more of Fred and George than than we previously had. I kind of realized that they feel more like prominent characters in the story than they did like in the past uh, book. And it kind of made me realize it was because, you know, J.K. Rowling was writing this first book. She was really only focusing on a few of the characters. But now that she's, you know, she's released it and it's ready to go, she's like, okay, now I can expand on some of these more more side characters from this book and i'm gonna like start giving them more personalities and stories and like that and the weasley family obviously i think was like the biggest contenders and so like fred and george having more personality and more input into the story and percy having like the beginnings mm-hmm. of what percy's going through and mrs Dur and mrs weasley having these like discussions like it made me excited reading it mm-hmm. and i was like wow like just just to see them grow i want that same feeling in the tv show because it didn't happen it doesn't it doesn't happen in the movie in the movie there's not enough time to expand on these characters because there's so many characters but all but a limited amount of time 
but I want that same excitement I'm getting as I'm reading the book to happen in the movie and into the TV shows because they'll get introduced in season one, but we may not be able to delve into them a little bit deeper until season two, which means more time with more characters and we get to see them kind of grow and develop into these uh, into these characters that we're, we all know and love. And that's that's an exciting prospect to me. Um. Just are we still just going on about the car scene in general? I know you you looked like you had something to say earlier. Yeah, um, I forgot. So if I remember, then I'll say it. Um, Sorry, Meeks. No, okay. Um, one of the things that I thought was um, poignant that was taken out of the film was that when Harry told the Weasleys about um, Dobby and um. And just the fact that Dobby came to the house and was trying to prevent him from going to school and all that, that Ron immediately said it was Draco. And I feel like that's poignant because there's so, there is all the way through the series, there is um, a whole lot of tension between Ron and Harry, or uh, sorry, Harry and Draco. And of course we get that, like they make it clear in the films that Draco's a little snothead and you know, like they, they do that. They make it obvious, but I feel like there's, it goes so much deeper than just like Draco being the bully at school and Harry being the one that, you know, stands up to him. I, it, you know, I think it's like so much more personal than that. And the films do a fine job at doing what films are going to do. But I mean, I think that even like such a small thing like that, like they're just in the car and they mention Harry mentions Dobby and and Ron immediately goes to, well, Draco did it. I think that that's those all of those details are just important to keep in, I think, because they keep adding to that storyline. And it's such great foreshadowing because Dobby does belong to the Malfoys. I I know. And I think to me that shows that, you know, it is the good foreshadowing because he does belong to the Malfoys, but it also, it it keeps emphasizing right from the beginning until later on in the series when Harry is so convinced that Malfoy is um, like a death eater. And, you know, when it gets a lot more serious and everyone is like, you need to stop thinking about Malfoy. And mm-hmm. we see it in this story where you know, they're convinced that Malfoy is the heir of Slytherin. And it's, you know, it's Mm kind of cute because they're 12 years old and like obsessed with this boy being the heir of Slytherin and killing mudbloods. Like it's, that's like a big deal for 12 year olds to make that type of an accusation, you know? And so we see it already in this film, but then obviously it gets much, much more serious and later on in the series. And so we're starting it now, or JK Rowling is starting it now that yeah. You know, yeah. that like everything automatically is just going right to Malfoy as being the cool Malfoy or Snape. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Harry's obsession with them. Like, yeah. why does he keep talking about them? Why does he keep thinking they're evil? Right. And eventually, like, the people around him are like, Harry, stop mm-hmm. talking about these guys. Like, stop obsessing with them. They're n- You've been proven wrong time and time again. And you're. it's not going to be right this time. Like, they basically are are considering it to be like a childish little thing uh, Mm -hmm. for Harry to still keep holding on to, even though he ends up being right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to, you know, keep that in from the beginning. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also just, 
there's so much conversation in that car ride that was cut out and it makes me sad and I don't like how they cut it out to begin with but I but I don't like how they they kind of added it in when they get to the mm-hmm. borough like they added in pieces of what they felt like was important of course they're trying to you know make the film not 10 hours long which is why they're making a show now out of it so that they can expand mm-hmm. more so I get why they're trying to shorten things and trying to add things in in a way that'll make sense for people who haven't uh, read the books but there's just so much good conversation that they cut out. In that yeah, film. and I agree. And it's hard because who wants to sit and watch, I don't know, a 10-minute conversation in a car, you know, and like you have to cut. It's You can't just film all four of them at the same time. So I get why they took pieces of the conversation and put it elsewhere in this chapter. But it is, I, like I said earlier, I do want to see some sort of banter in this car ride and just see them leaving the Dursleys laughing and then just catching up after being gone all summer and and kind of prepping Harry for what the burrow is going to be like. Oh, so on that note, I wanted to talk about something that kind of ended with our last episode that we that we talked that we recorded and how we were wanting like the beginning of this next episode in the tv show to be like journeying into the like the burrow and seeing the life of the weasleys and how they discovered that harry was in trouble and needing to go we all didn't realize or talk about the fact that the letter that Harry got sent to harry was what notified the Weasleys in the first place that he was in trouble. And that's what started the fact that they got to, like, got to Harry's. Like, that was the catalyst. was, like, they overheard Harry get in trouble because he used magic. Right. And because his father works at the ministry. And, like, and so it's not, like, this random idea. They were like, oh, something's wrong because Harry used magic in front of the muggles. We need to go check on him. We haven't heard from him all summer, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So like having that bit of information in chapter three kind of got me more excited for this idea of us going in and seeing the burrow in the beginning of this episode and seeing how they got the car to his place and then resuming it and continuing and kind of expanding on the Weasley life a little bit, because that would be, such a great new addition to the TV show that new that old fans would love to kind of get into, but it would be faithful. It would be faithful to the adaptations in the sense that you're taking these pieces of information that you're learning along the chapters as you read, just applying them before the events actually unfold kind of in the book kind of scenario. And so I think that would just necessarily be such a, a great little thing to add on. And the fact that uh, I think I, even in the last episode I had stated like that we could have like a scene with Molly and Arthur, like talking about going and getting Harry, which I didn't even realize they did in the book because here we go again in the book, they had discussed that they were going to go get him if they hadn't heard from him on Friday. And so it kind of just all falls into place. And now I'm like super excited because I want that to happen. But even though I know the chances of that happening are very slim. And so it's like a really great thing for me, but also a really sad thing for me. Speaking of the burrow. I 
just don't know how the show is going to do a better construction of the burrow because reading the description this chapter they did a great job constructing the burrow yeah absolutely i mean i think it got better over the years like they added things in in additional movies like it's not the same in book six as it is in book two like I think it got progressively better uh, as, as it kind of came along, but I really liked what they did. And I think didn't it didn't have the sign? Am I thinking? Am I imagining that? Or it had the sign that said the burrow on it when they came in? In this movie. In the movie. Or later. In the movie. In this. I don't movie. know that I saw a sign, but. Um, oh well, I guess I, I gotta just, have to go watch it again. Yeah, I was too focused on like the actual construction because um let me just read it real quick here. It looked as though it had once been a large stone pig pen, but extra rooms had been added here and there until it was seven several stories high and so crooked it looked as though it were held up by magic. Which Harry reminded himself it probably was. And I like I always, when I imagine the burrow, I do imagine the movie version of the burrow. And then rereading that description, I'm like, oh, it's exactly like that. It's this small little portion on the bottom with all of these added rooms on top. Yeah, I agree. I think that they really nailed it. And they, you know, the one of the things that the producers the set designers the people who are creating this have always been good at with all of the harry potter films is creating a a perfect image of what the scene looks like and the what the the design of the castle and wherever they are the the set design is absolutely incredible and so i i think that they did a great job portraying the burrow i think that it i think it looked exactly like what was in all of our heads yeah, I agree. Those set designers need a lot more credit than they than they got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can't have the burrow without the one, the only Molly Weasley. And Julie Walters mm-hmm. just knocks that role out of the freaking park. Yeah, absolutely perfect. Definitely. I love her. She knows how to intimidate you and make you smile at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the the book, there was totally that sense of like, she's furious and yelling and then she's so sweet to Harry and it's so comical. Um, I remember reading it as a kid and like picking up on, you know, JK Rowling did such a job that, um, that contradiction. And then Mm -hmm. she just, absolutely nailed it when she was when um when she was acting it in this scene like it was just oh my god it was just so perfect how she was going going back and forth between the two sides of her you know and you can't help but just absolutely love her and know how motherly she is but then you're also like okay well yeah of course I don't ever want to do anything that's going to upset her because she will rip (laughs) me to shreds and she should yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I when I was reading it, I was like, man, she's 
furious at what they did and she's just like very upset on how they did it and how they approached it and she really probably wished it was like done differently but I also got the sense of feeling that she was relieved that they actually went and got Harry because you could tell she was worried about him. Like you could tell that there was the sense of anxiety that she was getting mm-hmm. by not hearing from him and not having him over because Ron wanted him over and like that. You can already tell that she's already attached feelings to him way before they even like, like really get to know each other because this is a, you know this is a meeting of them like a second time like a third time this is their third time meeting officially in person mm-hmm. their their entire correlation is just ron has been in the middle of this relationship and molly has only heard what ron has told her about him kind of scenario and so the fact that she's built all of this emotions and it, for somebody she's barely even met shows kind of how tender how tender her her heart really is for people in Harry's situation that that they just they need that love and care and attention and she really does give that off and how she's kind of just like of course I don't blame you and all this other stuff but at the same time she's kind of glad that they did that and now she doesn't have to go and worry about it anymore Uh, and she can move on to the fact that she can just feed this boy so much food because I think we get to the point where Fred was like, they were starving him, mom. And she was like, she silenced him real quick by like saying, not don't talk with your food open or something like that. But then she kind of showed like a little bit of this compassion type scenario. And so she's like, it saw it. She softened her retort a little bit kind of, kind of thing. So I think that I, I think how JK Rowling wrote that was pretty awesome in the sense that it, it built a really great character that we all can relate to in, in one way or another. There's something I want to draw attention to <laughs> because we all know the infamous meme from Goblet of Fire with Dumbledore where in the book it says, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire, Dumbledore said calmly. And then, of course, in the movie, it's like, did you put your game in the Goblet of Fire? So in this book, <laughs> um, it Molly says, where have you been in a deadly whisper? But in the film, she goes, where have you been? And I just think it's funny that that scene in the Goblet of Fire gets so much attention um, and then this one is like the same thing where it, she's whispering it in the mm-hmm. um, book very sternly, but then in the movie she shouts it. That is a really interesting correlation. I'd never really thought about that. Um, but you're right. And I, I do, um, I would like to see in the show her speak in a deadly whisper, like I just to see like a different interpretation of Mm-hmm. the book scene so it would be really fun to see that you know what would also be fun is just to watch if we ever had access to i mean maybe she did this all in one cut like maybe they didn't need to do multiple um what am i trying to say takes. multiple scenes takes takes um but most likely there was more than one and uh, so it would be really fun to see the different ways that she probably said that line just be, yeah. just to you know out of interest because i think that she probably did a fantastic job at all of them 
Yeah, and that's a complaint because, again, I love right. the way Julia Walters yep. portrayed her. And I think the way she pops out of nowhere yeah. and says, where have you been? It was perfect. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just funny that um, the same thing happens later on but gets so much more attention. I know. Yeah, that is interesting. I think it's well. I mean, mostly because Dumbledore is usually very calm yeah. <laughs> in general. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, Dumbledore's always been kind of more of like a calmish character. Michael Gambon brought a little bit more aggressiveness out of him than uh, uh, Richard Harris did. And I think we were kind of just still getting used to him. But, uh, you know, it's just, it it's kind of lends to the argument that these actors who are going to take the spots of these people who did a really good job, are gonna have to just take do their own take. They're, they yeah. can't they can't mimic the results. That you you're we're gonna tell we're gonna be able to tell that you're acting like Julie Walters, Molly Weasley, not your Molly Weasley, right. or the or the or the character in the book. Like it, it's gonna be pretty obvious because of just like how much work and effort these actors put into the characters right off the bat from the movies like so it just the argument of having the ability of seeing a different perspective of molly weasley is more enticing and more exciting because we will get to see a different side of molly weasley that this actress is going to bring to mm-hmm. to the character that we are getting in the books but that julie walters didn't have an opportunity to portray because I imagine if she had more screen time, she would maybe be a little bit more authentic to the character. But she had obviously did miss a few things because of just how limited the time was. It's not any fault of her doing. It's just the, the circumstance of the media that was played shows yeah. that they didn't have enough time to delve deeper into that character and show some of the traits that make Molly Weasley Molly Weasley. But we get to take those traits that were missed and kind of explore those options in the TV show, which makes it an enticing option, which is why some of these people are excited for this TV show. Oh, yeah. Well, and I will say out of, um, at least as of now, out of the characters we've talked about, uh, Molly Weasley is probably one of the most accurate portrayals. Yes, I would agree with that. I think Arthur Weasley is pretty good too, but I think yes. Molly, I think Molly Weasley is I think Molly Weasley and Hermione and McGonagall are probably the most accurate. Um, I disagree about Hermione, but I agree about McGonagall. Um, okay, that's fine. Meeks <laughs> <laughs> is like I'm not getting into that. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I really like the portrayals of a lot of the characters. I really. Th- you know, there isn't one character that was introduced in the movies that I really didn't like. I like, mm-hmm. I feel like the actors yeah, who, yeah. who did them really did a good job. I just, I know based off of my ability just to kind of analyze characters and plots and scripts and, and stuff like that, that I enjoy doing. I just know that there are some things that were missed out on. And I'm not saying Molly Weasley was like, a terrible character in the sense that we because because she didn't yeah, have it's those traits show. 
because she didn't have those traits show in the movie doesn't make it like an authentic character. I really think Julia Walters did a really great job. I'm just saying that the things that she didn't get to address or do in the movies is going to get explored in the TV shows. I hope to get explored in the TV shows and give us a different perspective on the character that we didn't get to delve into. I, I totally think that's something that I'm ready for and they, they definitely need to do in order to keep the engagement that is needed for the show yeah, yeah, to yeah. be popular and continuing to go forward and all that stuff. Otherwise, we're going to get a great start and then it's going to go down and down and down in quality and no one's going to want to watch it after that. Well, I think across the board, there's so many things that were left on the table, especially when we get into the later books um, that they can dive into and pull into the show that they didn't pull into the movies and do exactly what you're saying and and create a different story because of that. Okay, are we ready to talk about the most egregious cut scene? Which is the denoming. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was going to be that. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very into into that, I see. Yeah, it was, that would have been, okay, talk about, (laughs) talk about taking things out of the film for the adaptation and then adding in all of these dramatic things. And then they take out something that is so funny, would totally be the slapstick comedy that they're going for, mm-hmm. would be hilarious for kids. Like they took out a scene that was built perfectly for them for I'm for no reason. Yeah. I think I I don't know if like how much you guys would know about it, but I think the reason being was because when that book came out, um, apparently there was a group of people that didn't like the treatment of the gnomes and kind of used that for the argument of like animal, um, like what mm. was it, animal behavior and, and kind of stuff. Apparently there was this big group back when the book was released where they kind of got behind it and said that that was not a great way to be treating creatures and that we... And they used it for their argument of like, oh, PETA. But Dobby can be kicked around and that's fine. Yeah, apparently. I don't know. But the, the, the it's said in the book, uh, the unofficial guide to Chamber of Secrets. There's a whole box about it saying that after this book was released, there was a whole bunch of people that got behind the denoming of it and said that they didn't really they didn't like it the portrayal of it or how it was written interesting and it was just it was like this thing that was breeding into um breeding into animal abuse and all this other stuff and it i feel like if that happened right after the book came out obviously they wouldn't put it in the movie because it was such a big deal back then that makes sense knowing that however it's doesn't seem like what they did to the gnomes hurt them in any way and they come right back and it's again like Meek said it's written very comical where they just toss them like they fling them which i get okay you're flinging the, the gnome <laughs> across the yard um but doesn't it say like they bounce or something like and it doesn't seem like they're and they bite back and it, yeah. it just doesn't seem like they're being well and I guess you need to think of it not so much um, – sorry, Meeks – not so much as 
animals, but more as like pests in your garden. Like you're not going to let the little animals come eat your cabbage or whatever, or the pests. Well, and they even say but, in, in the book, Harry feels bad about it. And then and then he gets bit. Yep. Yeah. And then the gnomes are being really bratty. And so then he does and they they just bounce and then they slowly kind of trudge away. But then they keep coming back. And so I feel like I totally get like I would I would feel really weird about doing something like that. But, you know, it's it is covered in the book that, you know, Harry Harry does feel bad about it at first. And then he's like, oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. They <laughs> they are being super mean. <laughs> <laughs> well and i think does it, it it even explains that he took the like he took his first gnome and he tried to just drop it over the le- like the hedge exactly that's like yeah that's what... him and it was he's like no never mind it's <laughs> like flinging it like 50 yards right so it's not like they're you know well not that this matters but it's not like they're cute sweet little bunnies eating the garbage it's like these are um sentient jerks <laughs> <laughs> well i'm you know either way like i i didn't think of it that way until i read like the the unofficial guide and i was like mm-hmm. oh that's interesting little bit of information and i think that's might have what played into why it got why it never made it into the movie which is just an interesting kind of prospect like how much how much impact did the did the fandom have in the making of the movies yeah because the books all came out before their respective movies so they there would have been a ton of opinions made already about certain things in the movies for them to develop opinions and to like have their voices heard and have arguments and debates and all this other stuff before the movies ever even were considered to be made how much did that play into creating these movies and making the choices that they that they made did some stuff get cut out because it was unpopular in the book or did some stuff make it in uh, because it was popular kind of scenario yeah but wasn't necessarily needed it's really good insight about the gnome thing and it will be interesting to see if the show includes that or not because if it was such a big deal back then I, I can't imagine the backlash that they would get today. I mean, look at what social media does. So it'll be interesting to see if they do include it, how they change it to make it, I guess, more humane. <laughs> yeah, I I just I hope they include it or at least something I similar. I mean, if they don't feel like doing that exact thing, I think it's important to somehow, somehow adapt that. Get those gnomes in those gardens. Get them gnomes in them gardens. <laughs> you can't, you can't be discriminatory to gnomes. Gnomes yeah, have a right exactly. to exist. <laughs> this is gnomes <laughs> gab fest. It's, it's gnome erasure. Um, one thing also that I thought was, again, poignant was the uh, Harry's um, observation that the uh, uh, this goes for a lot of things about the burrow but when he goes out to the garden and he says that or he thinks about the garden being overgrown which is something that the Dursleys would really not like I I like how many times those little um, comparisons are added in whenever he's in the wizarding world especially when he's around the Weasleys because um, that is really important yeah. that's completely different from 
how his whole childhood was, you know, being with the pristine, perfect Dursleys where everything had to be in its place. And, <sighs> and I think on the flip side too, Ron feels this way whenever he interacts with Harry, where he has one way of how he grew up in the wizarding world. And so he's like always enamored by Harry's experiences because they're so different. So I think that those those little details are important to keep in because it's really important for Harry, but also for their relationship. Yes, Sarah Day. So, okay. <laughs> Going off of James's idea of this episode opening up with the, you know, the fields and the sunrise and then the burrow and it being all magical and overgrown. And then we cut to the city or the suburbs, I should say, and pristine, uh, number four, Privet Drive, and like the contrast of the two. Yeah, I think oh, hijacking your idea. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, do it because the more we talk about it, the more people are gonna love it, and then <laughs> we're gonna have to force those writers to take my idea, and yes. then they can pay me like one cent every like time we get straight or something. <laughs> well, any other thoughts about this chapter yeah. before we get into our PFC pleasures? Oh, do we have a Meigs uh, uh, lightning round? No, James, did go you ahead. Forget Mr. Weasley. I know his return. I'm sorry. Anything oh about goodness, Mr. Weasley's Sarah return Day. home? Like, you forgot Mr. Weasley? Yeah, let's do Gosh, it. dang. <laughs> uh, so we meet Mr. Weasley for the first time, which I think is an amazing type of thing. And how, like, I forgot how prominent of a character he is actually in the book. And when I was reading it again, I was very appreciative of, like, how well detailed he was as, like, a father he gets excited about his boys doing something, but then is like, oh yeah, I have to be a wife, like a husband too. Like my wife's like staring the deadly eyes kind of scenario, but like he's, he's, he balances like his excitement for what his kids were doing with his car to, oh yeah, you shouldn't have done that because he has to balance out like, you know, his, mm-hmm. recognize like his wife's internal feelings and like that. I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed it more in book four, uh, just how much he, you know how much he gets involved with the other characters and stuff but i also wanted to make a side note that i could not stop thinking about martin freeman being mr weasley like he replaced my image of mr weasley in my head and as he as i was reading like his lines and stuff i could see martin freeman like acting out those scenes (laughs) with harry and everybody and Mm -hmm. i was just like Dang it. No, it's, it's settled. I have to start a petition. Martin Freeman is our I've already done the casting. It's done. That casting director does not have to worry about it anymore. I just want to defend myself and any Hufflepuff points here. That um, <laughs> Because in the book, he comes right at the end. But in the movie, uh, he comes relatively quickly in, in this chapter, in this scene. So um, I kind of just overlooked the fact that we hadn't talked about him yet because he's in the movie he's already been here this whole time yes thank you for coming to my ted talk okay wait how many points is that we haven't even done any points yet yeah okay so he's trying to get no points taken away for forgetting (laughs) arthur weasley i think one point should be taken away whoa you think a point it's not that i forgot him i was gonna say everyone's just sitting at zero then (laughs) great Sounds good to me. Okay. <laughs> Very exciting game we have going on. 
Um, I uh, really, really liked the the book version of the conversation with Arthur Weasley, of course. But I think that the adaptation in the film, even though they took out a lot and then they added it, at, you know, at a kind of different time, whatever. I still think that Arthur Weasley, like he did such a good job in that scene of being mm-hmm. funny and coming across as like the dad that's like trying to remember to be a disciplinarian to his children but really he's like so focused on the muggle stuff and like didn't even i absolutely loved how he didn't even recognize who harry was and the way that he said and who are you and it's like everybody else in the wizarding world is like they know who harry is without even seeing his scar and then arthur weasley right who's like was in the order of the phoenix (laughs) doesn't even recognize who he is i absolutely loved that part um So I thought that I just I thought that they did a good job of the adaptation, even though they definitely, definitely cut out some details that I would have loved to have stayed in there. Definitely. And how he he's kind of he in the movie, he's kind of just like, you're not a Weasley, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> he's kind of just like, you don't belong here. Oh, you're not one of my children. Who are you? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's more of like their reaction, not so much as like, who are you? But more of like, wait, this is a not a redheaded child. Right. Which is so funny. <laughs> At like, my dining table. It's like so, um, uh, what is that? Like so right on with a character of yeah. Arthur Weasley. You know, it's like so exactly how he would act. And so I, I think that they did a they did a great job with that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree, fullheartedly. Going back to the the point where Molly is like, they took your car, and he's like, "Oh, how did it run?" And she, you know, slaps him. I thought that whole sequence was really well done here in the film. Yes, yep, I agree with that. Um, and I do, I do have some questions. <laughs> Why doesn't Weasley family? care about their owl errol's health at all he just slams into the window <laughs> they know he's like a old bird and they're like he's always doing that well perhaps don't make him do that then or like figure it out i don't <laughs> well you see how they treat the gnomes that's true that's true so, so Peta is fine with the owl slamming into the window and nobody caring but gnomes that are biting back are not okay Apparently. Apparently. I think it more comes down to, like, Errol just wants to feel useful. They they try to make right. him feel useful. Yeah, but, but like, just... maybe, I don't know, have a bigger window for him to come through. Or, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that there's ways that they could, you know what I mean? Have him not into a window that's, like, that has, like, metal running through it. I think, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that they could be a little bit, a little bit more careful with their pets. Um, I also really like how they just quickly threw it in, um, in the dialogue in the film when Ginny comes downstairs and she's like, mom, have you seen my jumper? And she's like, oh, yes, here, it was on the cat. <laughs> yes. And then just moves well, on. First of all, yes. Like I had to stop and rewind yeah. and I was like, did she just say, cause I watch with the captions and I'm like, wait, did she just say it's on the cat? And I like, rewind and read the couch. She's like, yeah, she said the cat. And she's like so casual about it. I 
love yeah. that. And then like, we never see the cat. Right. Yeah. It's never mentioned again. No, I, I <laughs> love that. That's the kind of comedy that I'm, that I'm rooting for mm. for my TV show if they use me as a writer. Um, I also really like back at the car scene when i mean it's like kind of cheesy but it's like just sweet when they when they get into the car they're they're like finally flying away and ron goes bye harry happy birthday happy birthday (laughs) and um baby dan's like little smile as he turns back around yes i caught that too (laughs) it's so cute yeah i love it See those those are the uh, like additional things that are added into the movie that I really enjoy mm-hmm. because it would make no sense for Ron to say that in the book because we know his birthday's been like a couple of days will have passed like Harry's been in this room for a couple of days now like his birthday's long gone and so like it would make no sense for Ron to say that in in the sense of like oh by the way happy birthday but like it made total sense in the movie because it felt like that was an entire evening's process mm. kind of scenario. You know what I mean? So it makes I, sense, but I don't like it. <laughs> the, so those are like the additional add-ons that the movie does that I really find like does like a really good job in, in, in making us kind of like those moments and like the characters and, and, and kind of enjoy the story rather than, Rather than not having them and being like, what happened there? This, you know, mm-hmm. What's going on? But Yeah, I'm just looking forward to, again, the show having more room to work with and the timing being um, like not uh, squishing a week into one night kind of thing. Oh, definitely. Like how like how Harry's been at the the borough for like two to three weeks yeah in the movie it kind of felt like two days (laughs) yes a night even yeah um yes exactly so i'm i'm excited to have you know this book i think is 18 chapters and if we're doing like eight to ten or so episodes you're still gonna have to combine a couple chapters but still having you know 20 to 30 minutes per chapter instead of two to three minutes Yep, is going to be so beneficial. Big difference. In the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have another question. So when they say, when they. So it's instead of Meeks's lightning round, it's Meeks's questioning, questioning round. When they say, when they get the letters, when Errol, their sickly owl, brings the letters and they say, oh, that Dumbledore, he doesn't miss a beat or whatever. Does, is Dumbledore involved in the ministry sending the letters? Are they just- No, Hogwarts sends the letters. I thought that the, oh. Oh, that's right, McGonagall, right? Hogwarts, yep. Okay, all right. The ministry sends, don't do magic. (laughs) In front of Muggles letters. Okay, Saturday. I really yeah. I really want to see when somebody does magic outside of school, they just get a letter that they open up and it literally just says don't do magic. <laughs> <laughs> um so when you sign up for our Patreon, yeah. instead of getting an invite, you're just getting a, a letter from the ministry now. We're changing that. <laughs> 
I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm glad my question was answered. And I, I just have a, I have homework for the, for the movie only peeps. How did you feel about Harry scrambling into the car from his bedroom and Vernon falling out of the window and like all that? How did you feel about that scene? Because it's so different from how the book played out. And so we're going to have a bias because of that. So that's my homework for the moviegoers. And then my homework for our British correspondent and any other people who have an accent in a um, place that speaks English how do you pronounce the flower peony? Because when I was listening to the audiobook, Jim Dale did not pronounce it like peony. But I've always pronounced it that way. P-O-I, or no, P-E-O-N-Y. Peony? Do you say peony? Am I saying it wrong? No, I say peony. Okay, thank you. Um, I mean, being does he in the, say peony wedding, in the book? I think he says peony because I wrote down peony with like twelve question marks. <laughs> <laughs> I've I, I remember hearing it called peony, and I think I've always called it that. Like, I, oh, it's you, you <laughs> saying peony, you saying peony is like weird to me. I've oh, never heard that hey. word before. <laughs> Sarah Day, we're gonna. <laughs> I'm looking at Google right now. I'm gonna do the Google pronunciation. <laughs> face i've ever seen okay this is fascinating james that you are not a brit or an australian or somebody you're from here and you pronounce it the jim dale way okay are you gonna play the pronunciation sarah day um yeah i'm trying to um i'm pulling it up right now okay i feel like i feel like i'm all frantic and hyped up just like harry trying to get into the flying car (laughs) Um, i'm gonna disconnect my headphones real quick so i can play it on my computer Peony. Okay. Peony. 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 One more time. (laughs) (laughs) One more time. I need to hear it one more time. Okay, here. She's dead. (laughs) Sorry, that was fun. Oh, I'm putting my headphones back on. Okay, here. That is so weird. That is, you know, I'm not used to it at all. Hold on, slow motion. Okay, that's not funny. Some of them are really funny. Okay, that's the American pronunciation, British pronunciation. Peony. What? Peony. That's barely British. Peony. Peony. Okay. Well, um, I have no answers right now. So, British correspondent Karen, how do you pronounce peony? (laughs) (laughs) 
I need somebody who. Well, I never mind. I don't need justification. Jim Dale says it the same well, way I do, so well, I'm fine. With no, there's been other words that Jim <laughs> pronounces very oddly, and like then you go back in a future book and he pronounces it the right way, and I'm like, whoa, okay, okay. glad you fixed it. Well, no, James, this is interesting. This this changes everything. The fact that you <laughs> pronounce it peony, peony. Peony. <laughs> no. Why? <laughs> because that's how I heard it for like the first time, or that's how I tried saying it. Do people no, okay, ever corrected me? Have you? Have you? Have you heard? Okay, it? I'm correcting you now, James. It's Peony. It's not Peony. <laughs> Have you have you heard it spoken aloud by by friends or foes around you in your area? Is it regional? Foes. Not. I mean, not regional here. I think last time I remember hearing it was over when I was in the East Coast. In the East Coast. How in do- the East Coast, they promised you it's pronounced peony. <laughs> it's not where I was from. <laughs> What East Coast are you two on? <laughs> Listeners. Oh, wait, no, you're not East Coast. I'm currently in the West Coast. You're Utah. Do people yep. do... I'm sorry. Utahans? Utonians? Utahans. Utahans? Utahans. Oh, God. I'm learning so much right now. Do Utahans pronounce it peony? Well, I don't even think they even have like many <laughs> chances to say it because the flower I don't think the flower exists over here. I think I think if you were to hand a piece of paper that says say the word peony out loud to your fellow I people, would have to try that. <laughs> you out. should. Yes. Can we ask your wife to come in right now and ask her oh. to read like say the word out loud and see how she pronounces oh, it? Oh goodness. This is this is gonna be hilarious. Oh my god, I cannot wait. This is a huge reveal, folks. It's, it's P-E-O-N-Y. P-E-O-N-Y. Okay, yeah. It's just Hold a popular on. wedding bouquet flower, and I was a wedding planner, so okay. I'm like, I know peonies. <laughs> so it's been around for you. Yeah. The American pronunciation. Okay, she's of- coming. Hold on. Okay. I'm so excited. Oh. Okay, I'm going to explain it to her first, and then I'll have her say it. Don't mute yourself so we don't know you're cheating. (laughs) Okay, fine. I won't. I I didn't want any of this to be recorded, but I will. No, you're kidding. Just so that you guys can hear it. But... The, we have discovered there's two pronunciations. I have one, and then they have one. And we need somebody else who is not affiliated with us in in this regard to come in and say the word. So just come in, look at the word, and say say what you what what you see or how you would say that word. Yeah, I would pronounce that word peony. <gasps> I told you. What's happening? Okay, thank you. Utah is strange. <laughs> They're oh, saying frozen. Okay, mine's back. Oh. Peony? 
She says Peony is the one that she knows. I'm going to call all my florist friends yeah. tomorrow and say, but how do you She's from Idaho. Okay, so maybe it's a like mountain range-ish thing. You mountain folk, right? You're in mountain time? Well, time yeah, time. mountain time. But I've lived in, you, yeah, I understand. I've lived in Utah half my life, and the other half was in Virginia. Well, I, so I grew up as a child in Virginia. No. <laughs> yeah, I did. And then I moved to Utah when I was 15. So how I pronounce things comes from Virginia. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it does. Saturday. Happy peonies. It does. <laughs> okay, wait, here's this. This is apparently how to pronounce peony in parentheses, real life examples, exclamation mark. Varieties. So here's a rose, a daffodil, and a peony. Where on the left you see the wild type flower. You have the rose, and you have the tulip, and you have the peony, and you have the daisy, and all that. But then there's this thing called the garden, and they all belong within the garden. The malignant. Remember, I was setting up for this one to be, um, like I don't have a, you know, a big round peony. Don't need to explain what peony. What other words? Anyway, we don't have. Okay, <clears throat> so off topic. Let's get back <laughs> minutes later. Thanks for that, Meigs. That was a great tangent. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, like I said, I'm going to call all of my florist friends tomorrow and ask them who's heard them pronounce peony. You know how I thought this conversation was going to go is that the three of us were going to be like, oh yeah, we say peony. Interesting that British people pronounce it peony. And then we would move on and be like, can't wait to hear from Karen when this episode comes out. <laughs> oh wow hey i'm yeah. still glad i have jim dale on my side so you know you can take it take I, it with whatever you are i have jim dale the same way that says that i do so i'm happy all right well you know what to okay. be continued <laughs> <laughs> and i do have okay getting back to being really serious just kidding. I do have one more um, thing about the chapter about going uh, when Harry goes to Ron's bedroom to see it um, and the Chudley Cannon stuff everywhere in his room. Oh my God, Saturday's laughing at me. I don't know what I said. <laughs> um, and so I just wanted to touch on that. So if anybody has something that like is more urgent that they need to say. I feel like all rattled from the peony situation. Um, so I, again, this came up in the previous book too. And I think we're probably, as we're going slowly through the books, you know, chapter by chapter, I think we're going to find this a lot more where, you know, Ron is so embarrassed and he's insecure about his house and about his room. And, and he expresses that to Harry about, you know, it's not much or we don't have much or whatever. And Harry's like, this is perfect. I absolutely love this. And so I just, um, I want more of that because like we saw way back on the train in the first book, how it was, um, you know, it was cut out how, how insecure and kind of like, you know, just not confident about himself and embarrassed about his family, Ron felt when they were on the train, but then Harry's just like, no, this is, this is fantastic. And so I just want them to keep that in. Cause I think it's so important again, like it's important for, for Ron's development, for his character, because that shows up later in, on a 
in a bad way when you know his insecurities come out and he's still battling with that all the way through the series but then it's also important you know to see with harry's development how he's he is just he loves what ron's life is like his home life and he craves that so bad because he had the complete opposite and he never knew his parents and ron has had loving parents for his whole life and so i just think it's really important to keep in all of those even small details like a little blip about how ron is insecure about what his family's house looks like i love how this book and i'm gonna continue i think i'm gonna like comment on it a few a few times going forward but i love how this book continues to just bring back points that we've talked about before in book one or just a couple of chapters ago and stuff like that, because I think this was something we discussed uh, when they first met on the Hogwarts Express and how, you know, Ron's not that too insecure, like too secure about his family, family scenario. And he's kind of like always apologizing, thinking that it's an embarrassment, but it, you know, Harry's just continuously going and saying, I love this. This is awesome. Like you're, you amaze, like you amaze me. You intrigue me. You like, you know, this is less like, this is cool. This is awesome. Uh, and to have that be a continuous factor, I agree needs to be a big part of their relationship because that's, what's going to be the, div the dividing factor for them in their relationship going forward. It's going to be Ron's insecurity and Harry going like, no, we don't understand. That's not how I think of you kind of scenario. So I, I really think that have expanding that is going to go really great. Is that my kids in the background? I bet it does. Yeah. I just heard them anyways. Say hi kids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I, I I love how that's something that it's coming back. And I think in chapter four, when we talk about that, um, there's a few things that I saw that I'm just like, we're coming back to this again. We're coming back to this again. We're coming back to this again. And so, uh, and I don't think that is a bad thing. I think that's a great thing because it shows that this would really work as a TV show. Like mm -hmm. this, the, the, it, if we're, just talking about it on a podcast and we're not doing like any type of script type of thing. This is all just our ideas and our opinions. And yet we somehow come back to the same thing as we're progressing through the story. Like there's no possible way unless you purposely go and like botch it. Like if you purposely go, I'm going to ruin the story. <laughs> there's no way you can really ruin the story because you can like, it just naturally comes back to itself and, and naturally creates these themes for you. And that's with us not even trying. So like, if you have people who are actually mm -hmm. trying to do justice to this, you know, ship to this book and to the story, like we're going to get a really great adaptation in my opinion. So Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this show. I mean, I think we all were here for a reason, and that's because we're excited about this TV show. <laughs> Way to boil it down to something that sounds really <laughs> not exciting. <laughs> okay, let me try again. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're all here, because we're so excited about this TV show and its potential. Thanks, Saturday. She's still upset <laughs> about Peony. Yeah, I'm still over here reeling about peonies. <laughs> well, 
Now is it time to go into our peeves peeves? Am I going to get in trouble again? Nope. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> Am I going to lose points? <laughs> okay, so peeves pleasure. James. Ugh. My peeves pleasure is going to be I I keep thinking about it and I really just enjoyed the like how the movie did the the whole Dursley trying to grab onto Harry scene. Um I actually really thoroughly enjoyed like the 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 quickness about it, the urgency, them trying to get all his stuff in the car before um before they're going. They're like, "Oh, we got to take this off." And like, "Hurry, hurry, hurry." And I really I really think that that was well done and when I come like, you know, when I read it, I couldn't help but think like, you know, this, they need a little bit more urgency. I don't know. But, um, I, I, I really love the acting and I've already stated that I think him falling out of the window was, you know, a funny little addition to be added. And so I, I, I like the culmination of everybody's efforts into making that happen and how that, came to be and it's just one of the few scenes that i thoroughly enjoy every single time um without complaint so um my peeve no pleasure pleasure pleasure. thanks i as i said that i was like i think that's wrong um seeing the dynamic of the weasley family i think that um they did Mm -hmm. that and it's really charming in the book and I think they kept it charming and funny and uh, very on brand for all of the characters in the film. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of charming, my pleasure is just the set design of the borough because again, like it's just so magical and charming and they did such a good job of bringing that description to life. Yep. I like them all. Good choices. All right. Peeves, peeves. You you want to know what made me upset? Yes. What this movie did to make me upset uh, was not giving us an opportunity to explore the borough. Mm -hmm. To be honest. And the gnomes. Well, I mean, you know, gnomes aside, I wasn't really interested in the gnomes. I just was more interested in like Harry getting to enjoy being at Ron's house and like mm-hmm. being like exploring that little facet of the thing. We, he kind of just gets there and they're like, Oh, time to go to Diagon Alley. And there's nothing wrong with Diagon Alley. I love Diagon Alley. We get to explore more of it later. Um, and we're mm-hmm. going to talk about it more and it's all going to be great, but he has a significant amount of time at the borough and he he kind of just goes in and out and then for it it it's a staple of his character that it basically his his home his second home because his home is hogwarts we've already discussed this he's he's already made it clear he loves hogwarts as his home mm-hmm. but the burrow is basically his second home he 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 loves it just as much as uh, just as much as hogwarts because it has something that he's never had and to not get that explored in the movies was kind of mm-hmm. a travesty because we really don't get that at all in any of the movies. Like the most he ever gets at the burrow past this movie is in the sixth movie when they're like celebrating 
the holidays or something like that, and then they get attacked. Uh, that's like the biggest thing ever. And then he spends Christmas with the Weasleys in the fifth movie at Grimwald Place. Like, that's not even right. at the Burrow. So, like, the Burrow only really gets this movie and the sixth movie to get, like, some some good screen time. And, and I think that's not fair to the to the place that Harry has a huge attachment to. So that I agree 100%. Bad. And speaking of the sixth book where it gets attacked that's not even in the book no that's no, a movie not. only and so it just i'm sorry because it brings up a fact that i keep bringing up is that they just bring back these things to destroy them or to kill them off for emotional impact in the films but it's like we don't even have we haven't even built that emotional connection to be sad yep. and like, like you just said like yeah there's no there's so much time at the burrow and it's just it, ah, I agree. Yeah. So I I wanted a little bit more time. I wanted Harry to like mm -hmm. it's a perfect it's it was a perfect place to explore more of the magical world and they just moved it right along. So it's kind mm -hmm. of just like why? What was the point? Exactly. That's my peak too. So <laughs> mm -hmm. just how much well. out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got something in my throat. But yes, the burrow. Everything you two just said is what I was going to say. It would be my peeve as well to, um, but when I was watching this, I noticed something. And again, they didn't have the future books yet, so it's it's fine. But on the clock that shows people where the family members are, there is a section for dentist. And they don't know what dentists are. Ooh, that's a good peeve and a good point. Yes. yes I like that. Mm -hmm. So that is my peeves peeve uh, that they included the, the, the dentist on there. So moving on to our Weasley salute. So my Weasley salute is going to be hard to choose because... I really enjoyed this entire chapter and I normally kind of have something that's like really prominent and really like sticks out to me, but like overall, like this is one of the more thoroughly enjoying chapters. And I think it's because we're being introduced to a pivotal, a pivotal part of Harry's life that, you know, you look at it and you're kind of just like, he, that, that is, that is so important to him, and it, it you can tell based on how J.K. Rowling is writing the the chapter that it is it, it was it's meant to be a stark contrast to Perfect Drive. You put she put a lot of effort into into making that place feel like a feel like a place that Harry could Harry could get a, like attached to and associated with with being his second home kind of scenario. Uh, and that's why I was kind of peeved that we don't get a lot of time with it is because uh, it's such an important thing and as I was reading it and as I was kind of experiencing it the way that Harry was experiencing it in this chapter again for the first time in a long time I couldn't help but keep thinking how important this 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 place feels to him and feels important to the overall story like i i really have to give her credit to making the burrow 
basically its own kind of character in a way. Like the borough has personality. It's really hard to give a place personality, but it's possible and it's been done before. But like the borough really does kind of have its own little personality, its own little quirkiness. It's and you know the the gnomes and the ghoul in the attic and the you know the just the the environment that they're in and the magic of it all is like i really want to see more of that and the only way i ever got to see more of that was through like video games the video games ha- use the burrow as a real like a setting for harry as in in the stories and we get to explore it and go around and uh there is like an actual denoming mini game in one of them and that was fun to to kind of experience but like overall just you know the borough is a is a prominent part and figure of of the story in the in these locations and we just don't get that and so i you know it, it all started because of how jk rowling portrays it so i i don't necessarily know too much i really want to know more about how she feels about the borough how she created it how it came to be I kind of want to know why she why she made it the way that she did. I kind of want to maybe know a little bit more about that because it makes me interested to to kind of figure out how that became such a such a place that a lot of us kind of just we we think of as another, you know, another cool place to live kind of scenario, but I don't know if that made sense, but that's my P Weasley salute is the Weasley home, the borough, and how it's mm-hmm. like a really good prominent part of the story. And it, from the very beginning, it's Harry says it really well at the end of the book. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, my salute is Molly and Arthur Weasley and their acting. Mm-hmm. My salute is Julie Walters yes. as well. Yep. It's just perfect. Well, really <laughs> so small. I mean, we just touched on it already on how, how great they both did. So. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Well, thank you all for causing a lot of havoc with us today especially with peonies next time we will be discussing <laughs> chapter four hey, she said it last- she said peony okay, your ways yeah your way not my way hey hey, hey you, um, but you said it that's that's a credit enough for me i i win that's all i know okay sure <laughs> Chapter four at Flourish and Plots, which is 14 minutes to 22 minutes and 15 seconds of the films. Um, James, the peony man himself, where can we find you? James M. Beltran uh, on Instagram or TikTok. And that's it. And you can find me, uh, Meigs, on mainly Instagram at M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all of my other projects. And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at captain.mcd, that's M-C-D-E-E. And just like me, you can find my other projects linked there as well.
And don't forget to follow all three of us, the podcast, on Instagram and TikTok at Peeves' Gabfest. Icklevirsties, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave a five-star review if you're as mischievous as we are. Please consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Gabfest. If you have any feedback, please, please, please leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GABFEST. Or you can email us at peevesisgabfest at gmail.com. Also, join the discussion. We're having so much fun over there in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash peevesisgabfest. Until next time, Michael Firsties. Thank you.